Thank you, Nick and family, and uh, wow, just a great morning already, you know, just the uh, Lord ministered to my heart this morning, and you know, sometimes, uh, well, that's probably the, the person that needs it the most, is the guy that has to stand up front here, you know, and I said that this morning to my wife, I said, wow, I just feel like I'm chasing things this week, and yet the Lord has just uh, gone before me every step of the way, and uh, I, I praise the Lord, uh, Nick actually uh, talked to me earlier, and we prayed together, and I felt like God strengthened me in a lot of things. And I say that not to come here and, and plead like I'm a, a weak servant, but I am. You know, the reality is we are weak, and sometimes we, uh, we end up needing some extra uh, help, somebody to come along, strengthen feeble arms, you know, and lift them up like Moses had uh, his helpers, you know, that came along and helped him lift up his arms. And I feel like that so often. And I'm just so grateful how God provides and he does so. And I had several times this week people texting me, and I mean, very timely, uh, saying, we're praying for you. And I mean, I, I didn't say really, hey, I need this or I need uh, just perfect timing. God puts it on people's hearts. And I'm just so thankful for that. Um, and I won't go into all the details with those things, but it is good. And and then this afternoon, I was going to ask you for prayer. Uh, There's a big funeral over in Caribou. I'm going to be over there with that. Uh, and Nick has offered to preach tonight. And so I appreciate that. I'll hopefully be back at that time. And I can listen to you for a change and, and do that. Most time I'm gone if he if he does that. So thank you for that. We are in the book of Psalms. And I was thinking about, again, this Sunday and uh, we don't follow necessarily a, a holiday calendar so much or a Christian calendar as some maybe others do, but um, certainly this is one of those Sundays known as Palm Sunday. It is a reflection of the uh, biblical account, often as it's told there, of, of Jesus when he entered into Jerusalem on the week of what we call the Passion Week or his week of suffering, his week where uh, at the beginning of that week, on that day when he rode into Jerusalem and they were waving palm branches and crying out Hosanna, which means Lord save us, um, they, were, they were doing that. And by the end of the week, some in that same crowd, and particularly in that religious crowd that was there in Jerusalem, would be part of a group that would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. The very stone in which had, was the chief stone, the, the builder's stone, was rejected by the same. Uh, and rejected as uh, that chief cornerstone, as the Bible talks about. Well, um, this morning we sang a bunch of songs. Some of them were familiar, weren't they? And I tell you, I love it because uh, sometimes just spontaneously as you begin to sing, uh, I'm thankful that, you know, maybe you didn't know some of those songs, but some of them did. You know, Amazing Grace, right? I mean, most people, if they know any hymn, it's Amazing Grace. And we know uh, those, you know, songs that stand out. Well, the Bible has a songbook. It's called the Book of Psalms. And at one time, it, it was really the hymn book, not only for uh, the Jewish people, because it is their hymn book, but it, it was the, really emphasized more in the church as well. And I'm thankful, like sometimes we'll have a chorus, and sometimes uh, we write them, you know, I don't write the music, no, that's for sure, but uh, people will even write the music to remind us of a song from the Psalms in doing that. Well, I want to go to Psalm 118 this morning. And this is one of those psalms that is referred to as the Hallel Psalms or a praise psalm. It is also a psalm that uh, specifically 
is, uh, re- relates to being really uh, one of the Psalms they call the Egyptian Hallels, okay? As in, it is pictured where Israel was there surrounded by the enemy in many ways, and Egypt being a picture of the world and the world system in Scripture um, is sort of the, what we call the enemy to faith in many ways in that the whole world system is always wanting to press itself down on people of faith and to mold it into its image as rather than what the Lord wants us to be molded into, which is, is his image. And there's always that conflict that goes on. We've been in the book of Joshua for a number of weeks. And remember, we came to the city of Jericho. And I said Jericho is a type or a representation of an enemy that every believer faces. And it is that enemy of the world system and how it presses on you. And it was only overcome by one way. Remember which way? By, well, there was song involved. But what did they do? They trusted. What's another uh, word for trust? Faith. And that's how the world is overcome, by faith. Not alone in our faith, my faith wavers, but his, right? His great, basically, faith that he gives to his believers and we follow him. And this is one of those psalms. I just say that by introduction. It is found uh, simply between the shortest psalm and the longest psalm. So I think that's kind of neat too. If you want to memorize a psalm, Psalm 117 is really short. Psalm 119 is a much longer psalm. And I would say, hey, start with 118 maybe. Something like that. Somewhere in between. But it's a great, great psalm. I'm going to read four verses and then we're going to pray and then we'll comment on some things this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. Lord, again, we come before you this morning, and Lord, I thank you. Your mercy endures forever. Our mercy is not limitless, but yours is. Grateful we are for that, Lord. We're thankful today that we can acknowledge that. And we pray as we open up your scriptures in these moments... You would open them to our hearts and minds and do your work as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want an outline, just a very simple outline of Psalm 118. It's not original with me. It's a Warren Wearsby outline uh, from his comments on this chapter. But he chapter, uh, well, he he summarizes it in these uh, four points. But give thanks to the Lord always is the first one. And as you've read down through these four verses, you, you see that reoccurring theme where We are to give thanks. And by the way, this psalm, it begins with thanksgiving and it ends with thanksgiving. And I think that's a good way when we sing songs to be thankful and then kind of bracket that song within that whole um, scope of being thankful. Uh, One of the short verses of the Bible in the New Testament is, In everything give what? Give thanks. And that's from Thessalonians. But in everything give thanks. And sometimes that little simple truth is one of the hardest to do. We live in a world of complaints. It's really easy to complain. I thought of that this week. I went down to Holton to do a service appointment on a vehicle. That's a long trip. You guys know it's 100 miles there, 100 miles back. It's two hours one way, two hours back. And I sat around two hours in a waiting room only to be told we don't have the right part. And I thought, I thought a lot of things. I won't say. But I was looking at that 
that service employee, and, and I realized that's not his fault. And I thank the Lord. He gave, me, he gave me nothing to say. How's that? Sometimes that's the best thing not to say. I could have probably, uh, in, my, in my own self, uh, told him what I was really thinking, a lot of things. And I thanked the Lord. And I said, Lord, for some reason I've done this trip, and, and there's a reason for it. Uh, I don't know what it is. And I often pray at the beginning of my day, Lord, give me divine appointments. And the Lord gave me several divine appointments that day that came out of sort of that delay that I thought was a wasted trip. And I even said later on, I think that was wasted. But now as I reflect back on it, I see how often he's that way. And I had to be thankful for something like that. But how we are so quick to complain even at the smallest things. And yet the song of the Christian, of the believer, the song from the Israelite back in that day as well, was to be one of thanksgiving even if the whole system around them was falling apart. We're living in a world where it's not getting better, I hate to say. I'm an optimist, but I look out and I look and I think it is changing rapidly. My world, the things that are happening, rise in crime, the, the rise in lawlessness and, and that prevails so often, and the, the people that are dishonest and don't do right or won't tell you the truth, even though the truth is clearly spelled out, all those things, and they make great on you, but to realize that for the believer, we can be thankful that he's God, he's high and lifted up, he doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Though the world may crumble and fall, he remains the chief cornerstone, and your faith is planted upon him who does not change. Give thanks to the Lord always. And in that verse, he talks about, back, backing up, he says, let Israel now say, his mercy endures forever. You know, God called out a, a special people from the seed of Abraham. And uh, we, we know the story of how um, uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, went from one who was a supplanter or someone who was a deceiver to one who was a prince with God. And he has these sons and the 12 sons that are mentioned there and the tribes of Israel and that family of Israel, not a, not a perfect family. A family of sinners just like my family. Absolutely. However, out of that family would come one who would be Christ the Lord. Who would be the Savior of the world. And I'm always mindful of how God has so blessed the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. To have the Messiah come up out of that group. And we... If you're, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And if you classify people that way, whatever. And, you know, uh, the Gentile world has benefited so much. I have benefited as a Gentile for the Jewish Messiah, who's not only the Messiah for Israel, but for the whole world. He says, let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. That's one of the families in Israel. But then he goes on to say, let those who fear the Lord say. That is also the Gentiles, those that believe And trust the Lord. The word to fear means there simply to keep in reverence the one who is holy. And to know who he is. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus is our savior. And we also can say his mercy endures forever. That phrase his mercy endures forever is not unique just to this psalm. It's found throughout the psalms and it's found throughout the Bible. And it reminds us of the greatness of God and one of the attributes or perfections of God is his mercy and it never runs out never 
My mercy eventually runs out. If I keep going down to the same place and my part is not there, I will probably, my mercy is going to run out. I hope not, but it will. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just a man and sometimes we, we have limits. Not God. It's a good thing. Because if you come to him for forgiveness and ask him to forgive you of your sin, his forgiveness aspect, which is the mercy of God, meaning he doesn't give us what we deserve. We're the ones that violated a holy God and his law and we fell in sin. And as sinners we deserve judgment. That's a, not a pleasant thing to speak about, but that's what, what, what it is. And God in his mercy extends grace to us. He gives us salvation through Jesus Christ. And he gives it to us and his mercy will never run out. That means that I'm kept by him and not by myself. He's great. Secondly, well that's the first one. Give thanks to the Lord. And we were, we're reminded of that. And by the way, he's blessed us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. This psalm, Psalm 118, was written most likely in the time, way back in the Old Testament, the time of Ezra and of Nehemiah. And it was reflective of the time in which the walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt. And it was those walls that were in disarray and destroyed. And the nation went off into captivity in Babylon. And then they began to be uh, freed over a series of really uh, amazing things that God did during those times. To allow the Jews to go back to their homeland. And under Ezra and under Nehemiah's leadership... They were able to restore both the spiritual foundations that were there, the building of the temple, uh, and also later, also prior to that, the walls of Jerusalem, which would keep the city safe defensively. And this psalm would have reminded people as they sang it, and it's one of the songs they would sing not only regularly in synagogue, but they would sing it at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, an annual event, and this psalm was sung, and it was a reflection of God's great mercy and deliverance and keeping their nation. And as we look at it today, we think the same way in so many ways, how God keeps his own, and he does that. But we're to give thanks in those things. And anyways, it's an aspect of public worship. And even though as you go down through this psalm, there are personal pronouns like I and me, all right? And that's referring not only to the individual, but also the way it's written, as they tell me in Hebrew, is that it's written in reflection of Israel and for believers that it is personal for a nation. God is our, our Savior. He is the one. And when as we come together and we sing to the Lord, we certainly do so, hopefully, with thanksgiving in our hearts. Verses 5 to 14 deal with Trusting the Lord in every crisis. Every crisis. You know, crisis or crises as a plural there, I guess, uh, happen all the time, don't they? Uh, things just unfold. That If you were to pause and just look back uh, the last week or two in your life or in the life of, of our nation or in our community, in our world, you can find lots of things that unfolded that no one really was planning for, but they happen. And when they do happen... It's good to know there's someone who's above the fray 
who's still in control and he gives you the peace that passes understanding in the life trust the lord and we're called to do that in every crisis not just once i wish it sometimes was just once and i pass the test and no more crises come but that isn't the way it is so often i've been stuck in god's grade school learning my simple walk of faith that sometimes takes place and he has to teach me over and over again and then every now and again i have to stay back and go through it again so that I learn and I can go eventually graduate to a next step. But we're to trust the Lord in the crises. In verse 5 it says, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Great verse right there. I will not fear what can man do to me. And you know... That question goes out today the same way. It's answered before the question actually. It says, what, I will not fear. Why? Because what can man do to me? The worst thing someone else can do to me is just take my life, my physical body, right? And snuff out uh, that part of my life. But it doesn't end for the believer at that. You then go into the very presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why you can face a world filled with scary things and scary people. And you can go out and be light to that kind of world. Otherwise we would just cower in our basements waiting for whatever. Our life to pass and never venture outside. And we need to be in a world that though the world be dangerous The Lord is with us. He's on our side. Oh, I'm glad. And it's that aspect of learning to trust him in the midst of those things. By the way, he's 100% reliable. I'm not always 100% reliable. I wish I was more reliable sometimes. And and then I realize God is, though. He'll never, ever, ever let you down. I thought of that in the context. Sometimes he just wants us to trust him like as a child would trust him. Uh, or a child trust children are very they, they are you know sometimes they can be taken advantage of sadly and all that but but as a child you naturally want to trust i remember i think it was benjamin our our uh, boy that's now 19 years old and a young man now and i remember as a little one he's always been sort of the fearless child okay like he just does okay we had a little go-kart and um we had fixed that go-kart up, and, and it cruised along. It was one of those that went around a little, it was like a NASCAR car, and we had modified it and, and used it, and so it, it really moved. And like our oldest son, Sam, you know, he got in that, and he was like, putt, 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 you know, just around the yard. Sam's cautious. He, you know, he'll speed up as he gets used to it. Ben got in. He hit the, the, the pedal. He peeled out, literally went down the driveway. I saw him do a donut. First time he's ever driven the thing, first donut ever he does, he comes right back, and I thought, he's going to kill himself and me. And does another donut, goes right back at it, and that was Ben. I mean, Ben was just like that. But I remember Ben as a little kid, and I get to talk about him today because he's not here, right? So uh, he'll, he'll learn about it later, I'm sure. But he would, like, stand on a high place or something like that, and if I wasn't paying attention, sometimes he'd just say, Dad, and I'd turn, and he's jumping. Like, he wants me to catch him. Well, you know, most people would know, like, make sure you know that your dad's paying attention before you jump, you know. Didn't always turn out well for Ben or me. But I remember, you know, he would do those things. And, you know, he had come to rely that I would be there to catch him. And, you know, God is that way in a perfect sense. Because 
He just wants us to cry out and say, Abba, <laughs> Father, and cry out, help me, Hosanna, save me. And he's there and he's quick to save and he'll never let you down. And salvation is that easy. Chris, you mentioned that this morning. It's easy for us. Not easy for the Lord. It cost Jesus his very life to save you. He, the innocent one, went to the cross for the guilty. And he suffered where I should have suffered. His hands were stretched forth. And they were nailed to that cross. And his feet. And he was pierced for my transgressions, right? He was the one who bore my penalty and your penalty. I couldn't do that for you, but he could. Oh, be thankful for that. It goes on to say, The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore I shall see my desire on those who hate me. You ever wonder about this world filled with injustices? God will have the last word. And that doesn't mean you fill your heart with hate towards them. Don't ever do that. It will eat you up. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. That's what Jesus taught. Somebody compels you to go a mile, go two. Right? If you are mistreated or persecuted for him, rejoice. Because he too was persecuted and mistreated. And they hate him. He'll have the last say. That's why it's important that that people come to him now in faith. Back in the day when this psalm was being sung and written for the first time, the nations of God's enemy were gathered around Jerusalem and they were ready to pounce. But God intervened and he did so with just causing their hearts to fail as disheartened. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 6, in verse 15, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days they finished the wall right and it happened when all the enemies heard of it and all these nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God God has a way of taking your enemy even and just making him go away (laughs) and he'll have the, the last say in those things in verse 8 of Psalm 118, it says, It is better to trust to the Lord in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surround me. Yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. They were quenched like a fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. You see here, this psalm takes a turn of almost an offensive tone, right? As it goes, as we we say, Lord, you're the one that will go before. And over and over again, you see the the phrase the lord the lord the lord and by the way it's him who does the work and for us as a christian it's not about a land or a city that we're in it's about him and we are in a spiritual battle 
that sometimes manifests itself very much in the flesh and in that way, but it's ultimately a spiritual battle, and we wage warfare on that level. And we wage warfare differently. We go on our knees, you know. Lord, go before me. The Lord is able, he's mighty, he's powerful, he's strong, and he can take down strongholds with just a word. Oh, I'm thankful for that. This psalm is partially also quoted in Hebrews chapter 13 in the context here of how we ought to operate as believers. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. By the way, we need to be content with the things we have and not discontent with the things we don't have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, and this is a quote from this psalm, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Hey, you can claim that verse as a Christian from Psalm 118. Thirdly, glorify the Lord after every victory. Glorify the Lord. Instead of when victory comes saying, look what I've done. Say, look what the Lord has done. Give him the glory and he'll do the work. And I think that's really what he's always wanted, isn't it? It always is what God wanted. God wants people to trust him. People that we realize that we are utterly dependent upon him. Even if you have money in your bank account or your health is good right now, you are still utterly dependent upon the Lord. You may not recognize it in times of goodness, but it's often the times of leanness and trouble that we do recognize that. But we are utterly dependent upon the Lord for our very breath in our lungs and our hearts that beat right now. God is good. All the time. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. By the way, who sits at the right hand of the Father? Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son sits, is seated in the heavens. And you have God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. But the one who is honored is in special form at the right is the Lord Jesus. Why? Why the Son more than the Father or the Holy Spirit? Not in that they are less God, but because it was the Son who would go to the cross and pay and die and suffer. And he has, a, by his suffering and his securing over the penalty of sin, which is death, his resurrection, he has a name above all names. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. By the way, this psalm is what we call a messianic psalm also. It has a, uh, an immediate context, which was the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, that time of the rebuilding of the temple and the walls. But it also had a future sense of enemies that would again arise and come after Israel. And it has a sense, as we've looked at it, for all believers of every age, of every dispensation, and, but it also has a connection uh, to the prophecies concerning the Messiah. Again, it's in this psalm we read later on as we look at it, the, the phrase Hosanna is found here. And we also will find 
the speaking here, uh, this is prophetic of the Lord. It says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. That is what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross, but death did not hold him. The resurrection proves that he indeed has power over life and death and sin. The Lord chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. When Jesus hung on the cross, he suffered the punishment for sin. Not his own sin, our sin. Every bad, evil, wicked thing that has ever occurred, whether it be known or unknown, whether it be in just somebody's heart or something perpetrated against another person, Jesus felt it all when he became sin for us. That's what the Bible says, he became sin for us. He was our sacrifice. I don't have to pay for my sins. I couldn't. He paid for them in full at the cross. And he has not given me over to death. That's referring to Messiah. He would not, uh, he would be buried. And on the third day, he would rise again, victorious over death. Open to me the gates of righteousness and I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. On the day that Jesus descended there from the Mount of Olives down over those hills into Jerusalem, he would end up going through those gates or one gate in particular uh, as he goes down into Jerusalem and I believe the sheep gate there. And as he goes down from that hill and the crowds line the way and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, they were saying, quoting from this psalm. Jesus would pass through those gates and those gates of righteousness and someday he will again when he comes again. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. By the way, if you want to go into the presence of God, there's only one way. (laughs) Only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes on to the Father except through me. He's the exclusive way of salvation. I didn't make that up. Jesus said that. Lots of people out there that respect Jesus as a great philosopher, a teacher, maybe even a prophet, maybe a holy man. But they say, well, he's akin to any other holy man, prophet, whatever else. But Jesus was not like that. Jesus was exclusive. He believed there was one way into the presence of God, and it was through him. And he either is Lord or he's not. And you have to wrestle with that question if you don't know him. And you have to come to that conclusion one way or the other, either rejecting him, which would be the worst thing you could ever do and the saddest thing you'd ever do, or accept him as who he is. And it's not without evidence. For you have answered me and have become my salvation. That word salvation in the Hebrew is Yeshua. That name Yeshua is the same name that Jesus had. It's his Hebrew name, Yeshua. We have the English word and it comes from the Greek, Yesu. And, but from, from Hebrew, his name would have been Yeshua or Joshua. Yeshua. And it literally means salvation. We have salvation. Who became my salvation? Jesus. Yeshua became my salvation. In case we didn't get it, that's his name. <laughs> wow. You can't get much clearer than that. Not only through prophecy, this being written um, 500 years before Christ would be born in Bethlehem, and it prophesied about who he would, what he was, why he was coming, who he was, 
and even uses that name. Lastly, see the Lord in every experience. See him in every experience. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And it's interesting because on the day that Christ would come into Jerusalem, there were many there that were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us, right? Save us. And they were thinking probably save us from the immediate. Save us from the Romans that are surrounding us and occupying our land. Save us. But did they understand really why Jesus came the first time? He came to save them from a much greater enemy. The enemy that plagues every one of us. That enemy of sin and the consequences of sin, which the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not only death physically and all that goes on there. And again, our our people here have been touched with that this week. My condolences again to your family, Vernon, and to Roland's family. and, And I think of that, how death visits us, right? And others, too, this week is from our our people that we know. But he has the victory over death. But people reject it. And when they reject the the Savior, the, the one who's the chief cornerstone, they've rejected the only way. Physical death, but also eternal death, which is separation from God. Eternally. All that is good, all that is light, all that is is wonderful, every thing that would be glorious being separated eternity eternally that's that's forever and what the bible describes as a place called a lake of fire a torment a place of punishment where you will pay for your sins but you don't have to now you could instead come to the savior who's already paid the way and trust him come to him and say lord i believe forgive me of my sin Come into my life and live it for me. And he will. He's quick to save. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. That word save now is the word Hosanna in Hebrew. Hosanna, just one word. Save now, I pray. O Lord, O Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was coming from this psalm. I wonder if the people understood the fullness of what this psalm revealed. That he was coming to give his life as a ransom. He was coming to have victory over the enemy. But it maybe not been the same enemy they were thinking. God is the Lord. He has given us light. And listen, this psalm ends with a future aspect of a sacrifice. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. And may I just point out as we close off. When he says save now. And then he even hints at how he's going to save. He was going to take a sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that takes the place of another. And he says bind the sacrifice with cords. To the horns of the altar. See God had an altar. It wasn't maybe what some people think of an altar. Like in some cathedral or a church or somewhere like that. 
An altar really is a place of sacrifice. I'm always hesitant to say, come up to the altar, because what does it mean? You're going to be sacrificed? We're on a platform today, and I think that's probably more appropriate. But I, I tell you this, there was one altar God had prepared. It was outside of a city called Jerusalem, just outside that old city, on a hill called Calvary. And there, God the Son would go, And he would willingly allow his arms, his hands, his feet to be outstretched and to be bound to a wooden cross and pierced through to hold him there, willingly. And that cross would not hold him. And then everybody gathered there that that would stay there would watch him suffer in anguish and pain like you can't imagine. And as I've said over and over again, the Romans came up with a new word when they wanted to talk about the pain that associated with the crucifixion. It was called out of the cross, excrucio, or excruciating. We use that word to describe the worst of pain. And a crucifixion literally is excruciating. And he went through that for me and through you, for you. And he did so willingly. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. By the way, if you go back to the Old Testament, in the sacrifices that are described in the book of Leviticus and all that, one thing you'll not find is that sacrifices were not bound to the altar. There's no indication they ever were. They were, they were killed, their blood was let. They're talking about an animal sacrifice, a, a lamb, uh, a bull, and it was a picture of a greater sacrifice to come, one that would be perfect. Those were not... God told him to do it back there in the book of Leviticus. I always scratched my head and I said, why would God do that? Because he wanted to make sure people understood that when sin came in, there was a punishment for that and something had to die. And later, there would be a sacrifice to put away all sacrifices and it would be God himself. And he would willingly be bound. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Aren't you glad that we have that? And I don't care what you're in or what you've been through, where you're at. He's like, you know, the the student pilot who is, I think of that, like I'm often like the student pilot (laughs) that I I read about. Uh, This guy was going for his, his pilot's license. You know, he was in the final phases of his training and he was up with the instructor in a small plane and the instructor just suddenly cut the power to the plane, no more, no more uh, engine going. And immediately it went into an aerodynamic stall and began to f- just fall from the sky uncontrollably. And the student began to panic. And he couldn't get the uh, aircraft back under his control. And he frantically looked over to the instructor and he said, Please help me. And the instructor just looked back at him and said, just remember, there's no position you can get this airplane into that I can't get it out of. And that reassurance allowed that student to stop for a moment and realize what's going on. And he was able to bring it out of that stall and then get the engine restarted and and come out of it. Life sometimes feels like that, right? You're in a free fall. It seems like it's out of control and I don't know how to get out. Remember, He is good forever, and his mercy endures forever. And there's no place or position you can find yourself in life in without him getting you out. He's good.
Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful. Thankful for not only your hand of goodness, but your mercy that endures forever. And thank you, O Lord, as we even reflect on this week and Easter coming up and all those things. Lord, help us to remember again that you're central to that entirely. You're the only way of salvation. And thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.